Monday's experts uh, on Condo's couch. Uh, boys, Satsy, Woody, I think there's only one expert. It's, it's me. not me. Vaughn Blakey. No, yeah. no, me. I got seven out of eight as well. Yeah, but you didn't go Joker and Margin. and yeah, fuck. Shit, he's he shot to the top. He's gone from nowhere. Like in the space of – I've been watching him in the space of three weeks. He's gone from nowhere to the top after that ridiculous round. So, so, he, so listeners, if you're not – if you're not up to speed, Vaughn Blakey has picked the perfect round. He doubled up with the Joker and Woody. He got the margin in the Dolphins and the Rabbitohs game. Fuck, he should have put a, like a multi on. It's one of the greatest sporting um, <laughs> feats Dude, ever. Like, like, what, what would, I wonder what the margin was for like pick. 22 like, was the margin. I know, but I wonder what the margin was paying odds-wise oh. and then into all the other winners. That would be Thousands of Righto, boys. Well, Vaughn, Vaughn has rung in and left us a message. Let's have a listen. You guys haven't heard it. Let's see what he had to say. Yeah, boys. Up the ball and all. Mate, I've done some pretty tap shit in my life. But jokering a perfect round and picking the margin is right up there. I am flying, boys. Look at me. Look at me, boys. I'm flying. <laughs> what? Mate, now the pressure's on to keep it there. I don't think I will, but I might just hang up the hat. I might have not put in tips for the rest of the year. That's as good as it gets. I'm going out on a high, fellas. Up the ball and all. Yeah, Barnsey. Yeah, Woody. Up, Condo. Yeah, boys. Yes! <laughs> oh, oh so Mr. Mr. Blakey. Well, I feel like with the tipping, like with the weekly tipping for the NRL, my weekend mood on a Sunday is really dependent on how well I've Well, I just well, I, I activated the Joker round too. Did you? But I fucked up. I, I got five, so... Where I, are you? Uh, I'm on 13th. In, in fact, I'm the top uh, ball and all contributor, by, you, by the yeah, way, too. Yeah, but no, no, but you've used Joker. I've used Joker. Yeah. But, yeah, um, yeah I, I went off a bit early with the Joker and only got five, so... Righto. Well, let's, uh, let, on that note, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's dial in uh, our uh, resident expert... But so uh, I think I think just quietly, Jared's finding it very tough with all these upsets. <laughs> He's finding it very very tough. Morning. Good morning. We're morning. just uh, we're just commiserating the fact that uh, our resident tipster's finding it very tough, Jared. They, they, all these upsets. Yeah, I'd say uh, one of the toughest years I've found start to the season. Uh, it is a little bit typical that normally, sort of weeks four or five, we might see. Uh, a little bit of a swing against the norm. It's a little later this season, but um, 
Yeah, some uh, some tricky uh, tiptoeing through. I think a couple of reasons for for all of that in the background at the moment. Clearly, the seventeenth team has diluted the the player pool. We touched on this a couple of weeks ago, and I I think that's certainly evened things up. And we've seen the margin in so many games close uh, and closing, and um, you know down to about nine points as an average um, across the comp season to date, which is you know almost half what it's been in recent years by this stage of the season. Um, and then I think we're seeing the impact of a couple of other things. Um, the number of sin bins is just through the roof. Um, I think three and four years ago, um, we're averaging, um, I think, uh, two, uh, I think the number was two to three sin bins uh, a week. There were some weeks it was up to six. We're now averaging 40 sin bins around. Holy um, shit. 40, 40 around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or so, well, yeah, yeah. It's something like that. Uh, and it's certainly uh, double digits and very high, and about three times more than it was. Um, the other impact is that the teams um, being sin binned are losing at a rate of um, three to one against those that are not getting sin binned, and it's really having a swing in the game. So, well, uh, uh, when you just you just look at the Dolphins on uh, Friday night. So, ten minute period. Uh, Sinbin, South score three tries and the Dolphins did not get the ball until the ninth minute of the 10 minutes. Wow. Turns That's the game. Well, like, yeah. and no, then, I mean, South probably would have won, but it turns the game. Yeah, well, when we were looking at it, it was 14-12. Yep. And then it was like 30-14 yeah, or 30-12 yeah. or whatever. It, was like, it changed so quickly. Yeah. Well, and the other two that were interesting were, you know, the Roosters. They ended up with three sin bins in that game. I mean, the game with 10 minutes to go was neck and neck. Two of those sin bins were late in that second half and really swung the momentum to uh, the Sharks. Well, and the, fact that, and the fact that Lindsay Collins's try, which was a try, was disallowed when it was 12-all. And certainly didn't seem to go under the microscope, did it? And then the other one was uh, the Titans. You know, the Titans had uh, their captain put into the sim bin at a, a key stage of the game, swung some momentum. You know, during that period, the Broncos scored. You know, uh, there's no excuse for what the, the Titans dished up in the second half. But it, it, it is certainly a significant momentum swinger in the game at the moment. So, I mean, apart from the fact that we've got a, a gazillion sin bins every weekend, the NRL, I mean, the numbers out over the weekend, it's on a tear. I mean, crowds are up considerably. Like, we saw the night sold out for the first time probably in a decade mm. down there. Um Foxtel, Channel 9, KO, their numbers are up about 20 to 25%, which is... I reckon because the games have been so sick. Well, I think it's so even. Yeah. Like Jerry was well, saying. Well, that's right. Mm. It comes back to that point that we're seeing so many games uh, that are so close. I mean, I, I, I would hazard a guess, I haven't looked at the numbers, but there's probably a record number of Golden Point games um, after seven weeks. So, you know, we, we've got games so, so close and or going into Golden Point or going into the final minutes where... Uh, we're not sure which way it's going to unfold. Um, and then that margin between the teams is so low that we're also then seeing some major upsets. On the back of that, we're then seeing a couple of teams that have uh, paddled for a few years being very competitive. The Knights clearly one. The Warriors are clearly another. Um, and that leads to you know lots of fans wanting to get in and behind and watch the game. So uh, let's zoom in on uh, sort of the home ground advantage, Jared. Um, a, a bit of a review out of the weekend. I mean, enormous uh, bounce back by the Eagles. They get 50 put on them. They're home. Um, I don't know. The battle I, of Brookie with the I didn't storm. expect that performance. Jeez, it was a physical game. 
Ja- very, very physical. Jazzy Ireland. Very physical. Oh, yeah, yeah that hit. Oh, oh God. He he was rocked when he got up to play the ball. I think he's still he, finding he, his tooth. And he's a PNG guy, isn't he? Yeah, yeah he's, he's like a little Made nugget, of probably rock. He's, he's, <laughs> his head's, yeah, it's, it's it's carved out of quartz. That was um, Ola Kawatu, wasn't it? Yeah. No, who, and, um, I think it was the other front row. And, the, and the other, the back row got him. But that was some. I reckon the, um, the Storm, in hindsight, I, I don't know why I picked them there. That they were ripe for the picking with... Um, Munster at fullback. Nelson was still out. Um, oh, rookie, you, you well, how are you going to pick? The, how are you going to pick Manly from the week before? When I know they, they, they had fifty put on them, but they were really ordinary. I mean, it was a big turnaround. Yeah. I mean, and, what were your thoughts, Storm beat the Roosters as well. Yeah, mm. I, I thought there were a couple of key points. One is, uh, gee, I thought they missed Nick Meaney, and you know, Nick Meaney or a Pappenhauser playing at one has so much influence on that team in terms of the speed and skill that they inject in that team. And it rebalances them by allowing Munster to play at six. I, I thought the Eagles were very clever. They uh, targeted uh, Peretz um, defensively. I also thought they made a couple of little tweaks to what their defensive structure had been over recent weeks. But they were very difficult to find. Le- leaking 30 or more points in three of their last four outings was horrible. The key here, though, was them getting back to Bookvale. And I've touched on this point over recent weeks, and, you know, I think it's a bit of a, a, a find if people keep an eye on this. It's the teams that have had two or three uh, back-to-back away games returning home. And again, we saw two teams on the weekend do that and aim up and win. And one was the Eagles. They'd had three games away. One of them was a home game, but they took the mudgy, but then they had another two away legs um, and had played very poorly. They get back to Bookvale and grow another leg there. Um, Seabold, to his credit, he had them very pumped up. They were very... Uh, very switched on and absolutely physically took it to the storm. And then, and then the other one was the Warriors. You know, the Warriors, again, it had two away legs. They were poor in Newcastle last week. They get back home. I mean, the Cowboys have been disappointing, but once again, back at Auckland. That's two games at Auckland where they've been back-to-back away, return home and win. Joe, what's your thoughts on how shit the Cowboys are? Like, what what's happened there? <laughs> Well, I thought uh, Peyton, Peyton did a very interesting uh, radio interview about um, 10 days ago where he touched on the fact that um, last year they had the best part of a six or seven um, week pre-season where physically it was incredibly demanding. They really, really pumped them, um, did a lot of work on their attitude, a lot of work on their combinations, and then that set the tone for how they started the season. Whereas this year with uh, so many players... And this is right across the comp, not just the Cowboys, but so many players returning late back to preseason because they ended up with a six-week break off the back of the World Cup. It oh. meant that it meant that physically he only got about a three to four-week yeah. level of preseason into them that compared to last year. Then, secondly, um, the opening weeks are really concerned about um, um, not uh, increasing the level of intensity. Um, in their training sessions to what they had been at the start of last year. And he said they're now behind the eight ball. And then secondly, he also acknowledged that there's some attitude issues, there's some complacency issues. Um, I mean, he wasn't as blunt as that. Um, I'll put the words there for him. But, you know, clearly they've been really off. For them now to be a, a position where they're second last on the table, only two wins from seven games. Um, I think the other key factor is, and I mentioned this going into last weekend, they're short in the middle. They're, they're short, at least, in my opinion, two really good front row forwards. Um, I think McLean has been past his best for about two years. 
Um, I'm gobsmacked that they signed uh, Tarmail. Um, I think he, you know his his best days are long past him now. Both of them are out injured anyway, so it means that their rotations through the middle with uh, big go forward is lacking. And then I don't think the form of their captain playing at 13 and Jason Tomalama, who's been anywhere near how good he was last year, so he's probably feeling the effects of you know a really big season last year, then a really big World Cup campaign. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot of issues and it's all uh, mounting up for them. Yeah, I mean, he's really good to listen to there, Coach, because he's, he's straightforward, he's blunt, he sort of tells it how it is. Um, I thought the, uh, the press conferences after the Eagles and the Storm game was interesting. I mean, Bellamy's comment about their sin bins, what were my players thinking? They're yeah. on another planet. I think, was his, I think that was his quote. Yeah. And I tell you what, yeah. gee, I find it. I, I know you listen to all the press conferences, Jared. But I find it really hard to listen to Seabold. Jeez, he talks shit. Talk shit. I like oh, the, I, he just talks political speak. Yeah. I like the, the coaches that come out. I think Wayne Bennett said it the other week um, with when one of his players was, was sin-binned. I think it might have been um, the back row, one of the brothers, um, Bromwich, Kenny, Kenny Bromwich, may have got 10 in the bin. He just said, mate, ridiculous. Lost, the, you know, lost his mind sort of thing. Mm. It's good when coaches come yeah. out and refreshing and... Say it for, for what it is. It'd be sick if they could swear. Like, he's, <laughs> like, you know, like what happened there with Simeon? He's a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and, and it's interesting. I mean, my, my take is that, you know, press conference is the only one really worth listening to that you're going to get maybe some snippets out as a losing coach. And then yeah. packaged into that, you know, I've got four or five coaches. I just don't even bother listening to whether they win or they lose. I mean, Ricky Stewart's one. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know. Griffin's another, uh, Seabold's another. They just talk absolute gobbledygook and uh, and political speak, and it, it's just absolute rubbish. And then mm. the, the, the other thing that the listeners probably should take into account too is that you know I know from a fact from you know quite a number of journo's over the years I've you know become quite good friends with who you know there are some coaches and you know Ricky Stewart's one. You know, if you happen to ask the hard questions in that press conference. He'll absolutely give you a spray yeah. later, and then not talk to you for the next two years. Yeah, you know, so it's so uh, fucked. It's fucked. Yeah, it's so we end job. up with journos who just aren't prepared to ask but, the but right then, questions. But then what happens? You know, and you look at NRL three hundred and sixty, like Paul Kent's one of his good mates. Yeah, and you look at some of the things. Like, do you remember a couple of weeks ago that Jay, uh, I think it's Jamin Salmon oh, scored had, a when, try? Well, when he had a spray at Ivan Theory. Well, yeah, Jamin Salmon scored yeah. a try and yelled out "weak gutted dog" because Ricky Stewart came out yeah. and said, "Yeah, but said, yeah, but, called him a weak gutted dog." But him dog. trying to defend he him trying to Ricky, yeah, but him trying to defend Ricky tried to turn it around and give it to Ivan Cleary. He turned it around and said, "Mate, you can't have it both ways. They're you can't at the time and, yeah. say, oh, you know, poor me, he's called yeah. me a dog,' and then twelve months later say it like." Yeah, but did you hear the uh, one of the other uh, announcers on um, NRL three sixty say, "Hey." You got to give it as good as you can take it. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I hate the fact that there's all those little clicks and and they leave you, certain oh, coaches like, alone. Do, but do you and, think like twenty years of Ricky Stewart coaching or twenty five years, he had one. He's won one comp, but it was pretty much Phil Gould's. Oh, yeah. Go, go, go yeah, back and have a look at the, the go back and have a look at the roster he had. He's lost how many well, grand well, finals has he lost? He lost like well, about no, six. Gra- Graham Murray, Graham Murray took, built that team, took them to a grand final, and Gould coached him. Uh, sorry, sacked him. And Gould sacked him, and it was because they had a difference of opinion about um, 
how he wanted to coach the team. And, and, and that's, and that's never time, happened with Gould. He never has a yeah, difference. Yeah, exactly. And, and then at the time, Gould, as he does, had an infatuation with Ricky Stewart coaching the low grades at Canterbury, brought him in. Um, and, you know, people talk about Ricky's record. Well, if you actually look at it, they went on to win the grand final the following year. Within five years, he was sacked. So, they were second last on the table. He yeah. took them from... His win-loss ratio is 38%. So here's a question: yeah. Will will the wagons ever circle for Ricky down there with his with really, his mates in the media? I think it's really difficult because no. his best mate's Ferner, who's his CEO, yeah. and I mean, and God love him, he, he, the amount of charity work yeah. he does in Canberra, in yeah. and around Canberra, is enormous. Mm-hmm. So he has an enormous well, other, positive uh, following the, down there. Yeah. The other issue too is that he, uh, the board of directors uh, who are died in the wall, long term Raider supporters, absolutely love him because of his days as a player. Yeah, and so uh, yeah, Stephen's right. The um, uh, the background of him being so close to Ferner, those board of directors would never ever uh, touch him with a barge pole. And then he has uh, a significant range of cheerleaders in the media at News Limited who just play the game. Yeah, if you go back to that story about the deflection around um, you know Salmon, Ivan Cleary, and the Raiders, the Raiders came off an absolutely pathetic offering when they got touched up by 50. The story never should have gone down the line that it did, but it was complete deflection, deflection. by from how, yeah. you know, one, one, mm. one of his best mates in Paul Kent, yeah. which, you know, I don't know if listeners know the background, but Paul Kent was his ghostwriter in writing Ricky Stewart's articles in News Limited for over 10 or 12 years. Yeah. Um, and they speak daily now. And so there was complete deflection. And the other reason there's deflection is because Whiten... Um, has not re-signed. He's gone to the market. They, they, if Whiten was going to sign, they've supposedly tabled an offer of four years at one point one million. He would have signed it. Would have signed by now. Yeah. Would have signed it. Now, well, I mean, I, are you I, are you I, hearing I, any updates on that, Jared? Is, is he actually well, is he gone? I said three weeks ago. My mail from the right person is he signed at the Dolphins weeks ago. The heads of agreement, and all of this is just being stage managed to play out to make it look like long after the horse has bolted, make it look to their fans that, oh, he's tested the market. Now we've made a really big offer. Oh, the Dolphins have come in and trumped this. It's all rubbish. Yeah. The deal's done if the mm-hmm. mail is right. Hey, Jared, quick one. On coaches, who do you, who's your mail for the Dragons coach? Um, well, it's not most of the people that have been mentioned. Uh, Riles won't be in the mix. Oh, um, won't be. Uh, I mean, all of, all of the mail suggests that uh, he's very warm, um, about an option to go to the storm, whether it's next year or the year after. Um, so then it comes back to the obvious ones. I mean, Hasler's not in the mix. Uh, if they, the if board... they sign Hasler, I'm done. <laughs> I'd, I'd actually like Hasler at the Tigers versus... Well, you can have him. I am not having him having him at the Dragons. Fuck that. Who what? do you reckon they'll sign? <laughs> Sorry, Jared, keep going. Well, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I think I think tomorrow's board meeting, and let, let's not forget, the, the meeting was already scheduled, so it wasn't a meeting that they brought forward just to discuss the case. I think tomorrow what they're going to do is table potential candidates to that interview. Um, I would suggest they're clearly some of the obvious ones. Uh, I think Dean Young is, is the warm favourite. Uh, ben Hornby would be close in the mix. Uh, then it's a matter, do they consider Flanagan as an experienced coach? Do they uh, consider Maguire? Um, and then are there any other options? Because Billy Slade is a no, Rolls is a no, uh, Hasler is a no. Uh, Flanagan has mixed support on the board, but he, he did leave on good terms when he left at the end of last year, and he had um, um, 
earned respect in the job that he'd done with some of their pathways and list management in the 18 months that he was there. But I think if they bring Nathan Brown back in a GM role, um, I reckon that's that a good would move. Be you reckon a significant uh, well, positive? Yeah, like he didn't head, do much at the Knights. No, 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 not not to coach. Oh. So head of football recruitment pathways yeah. and list management. Isn't he like it, got a really good eye for? Jimmy he Tarrant? does have a very yeah. good eye. Yeah. For, I think he'd do a good job in that role. Is there issues with Shane? Is there issues with Flanagan? Because to me, he seems like the most qualified of that whole bunch, and he's got a, a history of taking teams that are going poorly and doing well with them. Is there? Is it still a bit of a reputation with what happened with him back oh, in the day? Absolutely. I mean, I think there's two separate issues here. If you look at his record as a coach, clearly mm-hmm. he can coach. Yeah. But his record in terms of um, credibility about what happened with the drug saga yeah. then the salary cap um, saga, you know, they're two different issues that really tainted his reputation for credibility yeah. and integrity uh, at the Sharks. And so that's rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Um, and so there are, you know, he, he's supposedly been in the frame for four or five different roles over the last three years and not got to a final interview for any of them. Um, and, but, you know, he, he now seems to be flavour again with some of those cheerleaders that use yeah, him who want to say. talk him up. Yeah. Um, but let's remember this, the same clowns talked up Griffin. Uh, and the same clowns talked up uh, Tim Sheens into that role at the Tigers. I mean, their record is not real good at recruitment, is it? I think no. the emphasis there is uh, clowns. Uh, Jared. so l- let's have the deep dive. You've got the job as a CEO at the Dragons, um, and you touched on this on on, uh, on Thursday, and we're going to talk a, a, a bit more about it now, is... Um, like the the experience that you know, and obviously we we can't sign the, the Dragons can't sign Bellamy, they can't sign Bennett, they can't sign Trent Robinson. But that type of coach, what do they bring that a club wants? Well, if we go to the Dragons, firstly, the the first thing I do is change the CEO and I change the football manager because I don't think the leadership has been strong in those two roles to get the club where it needs to be and also stand up to what is a splintered board. Secondly. Yes, I, I would be about a coach who's got experience. And, you know, you know, I coached for 16 years. It wasn't until probably the last four or five or six years that I really felt comfortable about what I was doing in that role. And, and that was from not being an assistant, but actually coaching my own team. And if we look at many of the coaches that have come through as assistants, many of those that have failed have been those that have been assistant for four or five years, yet not coached their own team in their own right. And the ones that have come through and been successful nine times out of ten have had a period of time where they've coached reserve grade or 21s or a New South Wales or a Queensland Cup or an English team in their own right. Now, now Demetrio now, now, is now, one d- of those. D- just hold on that point. Wayne Bennett's press conference on the weekend, I think a very telling note that he made when he was queried about the Dragons, and he said, if you're looking at coaches the way I look at it, it's pretty simple. You're never going to give a, a guy a job until they've had responsibility for running their own shop. He said, Correct. so So these guys that are, that are, that are really good players, yeah. that walk straight into coaching roles, it, it just never works. So his no. view is, is whatever the Dragons are doing, they have to look at people that have already had the responsibility for running their own shop, whether it's Q Cup, 21s, yeah. 16s, whatever. But is that, what, is that the issue that happens? You know when they say there's disharmony between, say, the coaching staff and or the, the front house, the the general management of the organisation, what is it that creates the issue for the coach? Is it the fact that the board or the general manager of football or the CEO or whoever it is 
overplays their hand and gets involved in the football football operations, the day-to-day stuff that happens for the team and the direction of the team? Or is it the lack of support or is it the, the white anting? Like, what actually happens for, well, for, I, I, for a team I, to then become, dis, you know, disconnected between the two entities almost? Well, once again, I mean, partly it's getting the right people and the right personalities and people are prepared to allow the right people to do their job and they do their own. And I think if we look at three of the most successful uh, coaches in the competition now and, you know, possibly over the last 15 years in Bellamy, in Bennett and in uh, Robinson, I mean, each of them are very strong at their own role, but they're also very good at making sure that they put good people in the right roles around them and let those people do those roles. So, you know, Bennett has a influence on recruitment, but he lets... He's a football manager and head of recruitment, uh, do a lot of the hard yards to then put people in front of him. I mean, you know, the Bellamy model for the last 15 years have been outstanding, the role that he's given Frank Panisi, and then that Frank has developed you know, guys like Paul Bunn around him and, uh, and alike, and something very similar uh, at the Roosters. Um, you know, many of the clubs that have failed, and I mean, the Tigers are a perfect example, the Dragons are another is you don't have strong leadership at uh, your football manager. You don't have strong leadership in your recruitment. You have a coach that's then swimming against the tide. Nine times out of ten, they end up putting the wrong guy in that role. And then you just have this whole cycle of of twisting and changing and list list um, shuffles and reshuffles every two to three years. And, it, and the cycle just continues. Now, the key for both the Tigers and the Dragons is they both have right now a heap of young kids coming through who are very, very good, who, you know, at the 17s, 19s and 21s over the last couple of years have been in very strong teams, been very, very competitive and or won competitions. What they need to do now is make sure that not only they've got that pathway coming through correctly and bringing those kids into first grade at the right time, but they've got the right leadership. Otherwise, you're just going to completely burn them. Well, I heard that the Dragons don't have any of that stuff. They don't have people identifying talent there. There's literally no one there. So if if you're a coach, do you really go to the Dragons? It could be career suicide. Well, I think think that's why Jared's highlighting the fact that it's probably going to be a Dean Young or a Hornby. has to just have a crack. No, but they know the joint. Yeah, and if you bring Nathan Brown back in there to sort of to to look after all those areas that are sort of left field, well, they're probably going to have a level of comfort. I I think to be fair to the Dragons, from what I know, their pathways at the moment has been good for a number of years, and they've got this good crop of young kids coming through. The, the, the next step then is getting coaches that actually uh, are strong, experienced, and know how to coach. I mean, let, let's just go back to that Raiders Dragons game. Uh, yesterday. If that's not one of the lowest gains we've seen in the last five years, I'll give up. But look at how both teams, when they had the football, had zero idea about how to set up a set of six, what what the intent was in terms of where they were on the field, what they wanted to do on the third or the fourth or the fifth play, how to actually create an overlap or put a man through a hole or what you wanted to do with your last set kick play. I mean, it was just absolutely horrible to watch. And we've got two blokes who've been coaching for 10 or more years at the top level who have absolutely no idea about attack execution. And so that then brings us back to boards and 
and committees who, who just keep recycling the wrong guys because they actually don't understand it themselves. Yeah. And Jeff, that's why then they want to go to a Bennett or a Bellamy or a Robinson because they all go, oh, shit, we don't know what the answer is here, so let's go for one of those guys. Gerard, um, do good coaches know how to use the interchange? <laughs> or name Did the you right with the dragons? before Did they you run say? on? No. So if you name your 13, that's your starting 13 with an hour to go. If you change it after an hour to go and you run somebody else like they did yesterday with uh, Moses going out at number nine and Little's, uh, Little had bench. number nine on his back and he got moved back to the bench, you've used an interchange. So the, dra- the Dragons had used an interchange before kickoff. Before kickoff. Yep. I don't and think the Tigers would even do that, Woody. Well, Tigers had a win on what, the weekend. They just passed 20 times in the warm-up. <laughs> Well, the good thing about the Tigers is they've got 16 blokes in the coach's box, so somebody probably gets the right idea. But <laughs> the, the silly thing for the Dragons then was 16 minutes into the first half, they then had to bring uh, Little on and then playing for the, uh, the almost the, the remainder of the game yeah. so that they didn't murder their interchange. Uh, yeah, just so to, uh, to wrap up on the NRL, um, I mean, Knights, I thought, were ripped off. Uh, the top eight... What changes do you think we might see to the top eight? Because there's some sides in there that you sort of didn't expect. Mm. Yeah, listen, I still think that, you know, the Roosters will improve. The Roosters have got major problems in their halves. Uh, those two guys are not playing direct. They're not playing with confidence. They're not executing. That's two weeks in a row where they've ended up with eight or uh, or uh, 10 or 12 points. Um, th- they will improve um, and they'll be, I-, I certainly think, in the top six. Um, you know, I think the Dolphins will end up fading. The, the key watch is going to be the Warriors. As the season goes on, I certainly think that gets tougher for them. So of the top eight right now, I think the Warriors probably uh, fade. I think uh, the Dolphins fade. I think the Roosters come up, and then it's a matter of uh, who the other team is that ends up making the eight. I, I will say with the Knights, you know, I, I made the Panthers um, my best bet for the weekend to cover the line. Uh, I was cheering the Knights in the last 10 minutes. I was hoping that they could hang on and win because I just thought they were outstanding. The attitude was, was so super. Good. They really they took the game to the, yeah, to the Panthers right from the opening minutes. They were prepared to play with some footy and you know, uh, put tries on, on edges that were, had a little bit of brains around them. Um, you know, they, they've been a, a breath of fresh air this year. Does, does everyone yeah. agree on the panel that they need a new kicking coach? <laughs> <laughs> like they would have won. Bears, what's doing? Jared, can I I ask a question from your point of view? Do you think without having Ponga there, they know how to attack? Like they've just got to, they're not just passing to Ponga and going, oh, Ponga, just do something sick? Is it a bit more, you know, like they're not depending on like their fucking superstar magician to do it all for them? Well, well, yes, I think what that's done though is it's created pressure off the field for their uh, coaching staff to say, okay, we actually need to be more creative and ad lib, um, and it, it's worked for them. And so, you know, Hastings' game management is outstanding, and his kicking game is outstanding, and so that gives them a lot of field position. And then when they do have the football, he knows exactly what they want to do across tackle one, tackle two, all the way to set their set up. Then he's got. You know, I'm not sure that Gamble's a first grader most weeks of the year, but the guy is ad lib. He creates things. It absolutely he makes things happen, and he's playing out of his skin. And then, as we've touched on previously, you know, Miller from the back just uh, brings speed and skill in. And then I thought that was best 
uh, his best game of the year in, on the, uh, in the centres. Um, the last couple of weeks, Gagai's been very good. All of a sudden, you've got the back five doing really good stuff off what your halves are doing. You know, Frizzell's been outstanding the last couple of weeks. You know, they're, and they're still missing uh, three big guys in the middle. They're missing their captain at nine and their other captain at six. For them to be where they are on the table at the moment, they deserve the win on the weekend. It's a pity they didn't. Mm. I actually reckon, I'll go as far to say, I don't reckon Jackson Hastings has had a bad game since he's been back in the NRL. Yeah. Like yeah. last year at the Tigers or at the Knights this year. I, he's he's been outstanding. He strikes me as a bloke that sort of likes the pressure too, you know, with Ponger out to your point, Woody. Yeah. He's just a good he's footballer. He's stepped up yeah. and he's really just steering that yeah. side around yeah. really well. Um, no, he's doing a great well, job. Tim, Tim Shane's worst Ever calls. Yep. All right, Jared, here you go. You ready? Week yep. seven. <laughs> We're going into week eight of the NRL. Here it is. New South Wales team. Fullback, James Tedesco. Wing, Brian To'o. Other wing, Campbell Graham. Centres. Campbell Graham? Yeah, I'm ca- with him. Oh, yeah. Yep. Well, so Other are you dropping Cam- the Fox? If he's no, fox, he's, he's injured. injured. He's injured. If, but is he going to be right to go? No, or? no, no he's, okay. he's out. He's, yeah. He's out. yeah. And then I'll have Latrell on uh, Campbell Graham side. Yeah. I'll have Turbo on um, Toto's side. Yeah. Okay. Then we yeah. got their five halves. Uh, halves. I got halfback Cleary, obviously. I got five eight. I'm going with uh, Nico Hines. Oh, I'm with you. I like you're this dropping, back line. You're dropping yeah. Luai. Yeah. Go yeah, on. Fucking... Needs to go and get his hair cut. Yeah. Yep. And then forwards. Okay. So forwards, we've got number eight, Payne Haas, best yep. player in the comp, pretty much. Hooker. Hooker number nine is uh, Coruscant. I want Coruscant because he was sick when he played, when he started last series. Other front rower, I want, um, who's the, who's the fucking Regan lunatic? Regan Campbell-Giller? Nah, the lunatic from the Knights, the brothers. Oh, so Saifidi. Yeah. Daniel Saifidi. One of the, the one that went, the one that went mad on the weekend. I can't remember. Okay, right. Saifidi. Second rowers. Okay. I'm thinking maybe Crichton, if he gets, if he's come out. He's back. He's back. He had a go in the Reggie. And he was, he was epic. 13 is obviously Yo. yo. Yep. And who's the other second row? Uh, Cameron Murray. That, and then on the bench, I want fucking our, our 14 is um, Jack Whiten. I want him because yep. big body, good runner. And then I actually don't know my bench because they can just be three other That's lunatics. Right. What do you reckon, Jared, of that side? I like it. Mm. Oh, yeah, I think that's pretty close to the mark. Yeah, I do. Uh, I think Hines will be at six. Uh, I think Turbo will be in the centres. I think um, you're right. There's a, a, a key option about what they do on a wing on the left. There's a big um, push for um, for Suwali, isn't there? Yeah, Joseph Suwali. He was, he was the other one I left out, if not Campbell Graham, Suwali. Who would you – I'd probably listen, drop, would drop Paolo. Paolo, Paolo the, the, uh, Junior Paolo? No, I'd just get him off the bench, off the bench. bench. and just play him like the last oh, seven minutes I reckon his state of origin is, is, is Campbell Graham. I, I love that guy. I reckon he's such a good footballer. Oh, and then mm. you've got oh, – sorry, here's my bench. Junior Paolo, Liam Martin, um, and then that guy from Manly. They were talking up the – the other lunatic that put the Kalama hit on. Kalamatangi? Is it? No. Uh, uh, the guy no. that put the hit on. Um, Okalaku. Yeah, Okalaku. Yeah. He looks amazing. Well, I, I think there's two, thi- two things there. One is I, I, I would be very, very surprised if politically they allow, if there's not a directive from above that Suwali is not to be picked. Um, oh, we are talking about you know, Freddie that, as coach. Mm. Well, and, you know. He'll, he'll probably, this year he'll probably pick Josh Adokar injured. <laughs> well, and. <laughs> <laughs> But, but Peter Volandi is, is not going to want 
constant media talk about, oh, how good did he play and he's going to rugby union. He's not going to want that to go through origin this year or next year. And then you're right, Steve, you touched on the other thing is we, we can talk about what we think is the right team and I think that that's very close to it. Then uh, then you've actually got to put the Fittler um, uh, makeover on. on that and there'll be left fields. There'll, there'll be at least two or three left fields that we just never would have expected. What about this one then, Jared? I'm going to go even crazier. Queensland team, Ooh. fullback. I Reece, like this, Woody. This Reece is good. Welsh, fullback. Wingers, Cobbo from Brisbane. Yeah. The other winger is Valentine Holmes. Yeah. Centres is Gagai. And who's the other really good player for um, the Storm, that other big unit? Is it uh, he went from Brisbane to the Storm? Um, Rimmer Smith? No, no. no uh, Corey uh, Oates? No, no. no um, um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do know the dude you mean. Yes. Big. He's quite tall. Um, he pl- he's a winger, isn't he? Isn't he a centre? Yeah, he's a winger. Oh, okay. Well, no, then, he's a winger. Well, you know, you guys okay. know who I mean. Five eight. Munster. Five, five eight. Munster halfbacks. Um, is uh, I'm going to go Hunt for, for uh, in front of Cherry Evans. Yep. I think they'll pick pick Hunt at. Uh, oh no, Harry Grant will be hooker. Yeah, and then I reckon the front row. They've got a sick front row. Uh, Lindsay Collins, Ruben Ke- Cotter, Ruben Cotter, Kerrigan. Yeah, they've got another team. They got yeah Nanai. They got that big unit from um, the captain of the Titans. What's his big? He's oh, he's Tino. a Tino. Tino. He'll be there. I don't know if Fafita's playing well enough to get a start. They've got a Jeez. fucking gnarly team as well. Mm. Well, Fafita was much better on the weekend. Listen, I, I think Woody, you've actually shown some skill here, and I, I know that they've got sixteen and <laughs> Jerry. You know that means a lot. Box. That means a lot to Woody. It's the only game oh, I no. care about. It's the only game I can actually care about because it's the only team I go for that fucking wins, maybe. <laughs> well, well, I was about to say, mate, I, I, I know the Tigers have got 16 in their coaching box, but, mate, you should be there for selection day each week at the Tigers because you could have some influence there. And I mean, the only, only game on the weekend we haven't touched on yet is the Tigers only just beat the ball. Oh, I know. So they only just back, they won in the Golden Point. <laughs> Luke Brooks fucking kicked a field goal at the right, wrong end. We'll wrap it up there, Jared. We'll talk to you on Thursday. Thanks, mate. Be good, gentlemen. See you, Jared. Thanks, mate. Uh, Margaret River, we're off uh, second stop. Woody, CT in Margaret's. I see Jack Robbo's pulled out. Yeah. He's, That's he's, a bummer. I know. And it was on his last wave, like a meaningless wave at Bells. I think he, or, you know, he needed a nine, I think, or something. He needed a big score against uh, Xavier, and he stuffed it on his last turn of his, I think his last sort of counting w- w- wave. So yeah, it must be it must be reasonably bad for him to time break his defending champ. Oh, it'd be so tough. It, Have you had a look at the swell forecast? How's it look? It looks sick. Does it? Yeah, it looks good. Like there's so like, it kicks off tomorrow. I think so. It starts tomorrow, and it could even go the first four days. Could they go to the box any of those? Yeah, days? they could for sick. sure. There could be a day or two oh, there. Great. Oh, that's Kelly good, Slater needs to make the semis, I think, to stay on to tour. To stay on tour, depending on other results. So I'd say with his statue in the. Uh, he will be pushing for He'll the box. Here's a question for you, Sorry, Woody. so he needs to make the semis to stay in, does uh, he? I think it's about that. Yeah, okay. He's 27th to get inside the 22. Is, if he loses uh, before the semis and misses the cut, is that it for Slater's um, competitive yeah. career, do you think? Yeah, I think so. He, he would have been... His goals at the start of the season, why he didn't retire last year, I reckon his goals would be being to be one of the qualifiers for the Olympics next year for Chopes. Yep. And... And then he could have kind of sat out most of the year next year mm. and just prepared at Chopes for the gold medal. Yep. So I don't know. At this stage, I think it's Griffin and maybe um, John John are the top two surfers for the United States. Gee, if the swell forecast is good, John John's going to blow up, isn't he? 
He loves it over there. Yeah, well, he's. I think he's worst. Him finish, and Gabriel. I think he's worst finish in the last five, five or six starts. There is about the semis. I yeah. don't. I don't think he's. Maybe he had a few run-ins with Kyle Belly. Uh, maybe five, six years ago where he lost in round three. But yeah, you'd imagine with a good forecast, it looks like it'll be sort of not massive, massive, sort of in the four foot to eight foot sort of range going up and down throughout those four days. So they could be very well at the box. Could be a couple of. Woody, are you uh, are you back on? Uh, are you back living normally now? Like sugar, alcohol. No, no, I got one. Is the JG challenge still going? Well, I got till Friday, so scans were just varied this over this week. I think uh, Pack got one on like a few crew got the end yep. of last week, sort of Thursday, Friday. Where if you can get in, I've got it this Friday, so I've got an extra few days. Rian's this afternoon, Mellow's Wednesday. So big shout out to Johnny Gannon. I mean, mm. uh, what he's what he's put in place there. I know. Uh, there's a crew in Maroubra, a crew on the Goldie, and a crew down here that have taken on the challenge. And I think uh, you touched on it week one, Woody. More than anything, people have learned a lot. Yeah, like they've yeah, learned a lot about diet and you know and uh, you know different t- types of routines. It's been just really, good really and just good making uh, like putting energy into good stuff versus like maybe having a few too many beers on the weekend and doing not much. Just Toby fucking. Cray's had a blinder. Yeah. He lost eight kilos. Yeah. yeah. He looks yeah. ripped. Yeah, it's good. It's I, really good. I think too, like certain, certain. the biggest thing for me is I sort of trained a certain way, like just because it was easy for me. Now I've probably changed. How a big a difference does alcohol make? Fuck, it's, it's huge. Sugar for me, man. I, sugar, like I didn't, I haven't had an Easter egg yet. I've got fucking... <laughs> Three stash in the freezer for <laughs> when I oh, wait, on Friday after my after my scan at eleven a.m. I'm going to go straight get a chocolate fucking ice cream and skull a tequila. So boys, uh, what have we been listening to? Uh, I know uh, Satsy, you had your usual four day weekend, so you're in the car out west. What were you listening to in the car, mate? I uh, I just like my stock standard. We'll have my uh, NRL podcast, the Daily Telegraph one. Quite enjoy that, I, mate. I haven't had a, a good uh, good listen. I, I put up with three kids on the way out, so that was that was enough for me. Um, I am uh, excited. There's a new podcast coming out, new crime one. So I'm I'm right into my crime, my true crime podcast. So right, That's uh, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but uh, quite like the um, the Australian bloke out of the Australian does some some good podcasts. What about yeah. you, Woody? Uh, I've been down the rabbit hole so this weekend, so it'll be Sunday for us. It's Javante Davis versus Ryan Garcia in the 135-pound uh, boxing. So it's pretty much the two biggest names in boxing, especially on the lighter side, under like Canelo and Triple G and that. These guys are pretty much the two biggest names. But the first time in, let's say, fuck, a, like at, at least, I know, a good chunk where these, the two best fighters, they're both undefeated. And they're both under 30 and they're fighting each other. A, v- a lot of the time they'll sort of, you know, fucking wait till they've had mm. a bit more of a career. But these guys are trying to change that stigma of waiting till they're over 30 or, you know, over 35 even past their prime. So these guys... Is that because it's a big payday or...? It's... I think they just like... Like it's, everyone's so addicted to that... Um, everyone's so addicted to that Floyd Mayweather undefeated thing, having the zero there that they don't take any risk. So... Yeah. They actually kind of, it, it's just fuck boxing, whereas UFC have done so well and you get to the top, it's the best two guys yeah, right. just match up and they might fight three times inside two years in their prime. Yeah. So that's, that's like the discussion. Anyway, Showtime, do a, they do like a follow thing leading into the fight. I just watched the first episode, half an hour on YouTube. Um, it's on the Showtime thing. And it's just got the way they train and leading into the fight and how much they fucking hate each other. 
the one I want to flag this week, it's not out yet, but uh, I saw the preview last night and listened to the 10 or 15 mm. minute preview. Howie Games is doing a couple part series with uh, Greg Norman, because lives in Australia this week. Uh, I reckon that'll be really interesting. I, I find it probably, actually, I find it pretty hard to listen to Greg Norman these days because it seems to be a lot about Greg, but um, I think hopefully he'll give sort of a bit of a, the backstory on live and what's sort of rolling out um he said it's in the preview with howie that uh he'll put everything on the table so that comes out on thursday uh all the uh, live golfers are in australia in adelaide on thursday so that'll be really good um we didn't start with it probably kind of had a bit of a fuck up here but huge thank you for pizza pasta mezzi and nikki last thursday night we had joel parko uh as I said in the potty, I, I hadn't met Joel. Um, Woody, he's a good mate of yours. I hope he enjoyed the night. I think everybody enjoyed having Parco there. Epic venue. Yeah, sick. Like, uh, Yuli beers flowing. Um, all our sponsors were behind it. You had a ball and all beer or probably a few as you walked in. Food was fantastic and Parco was great. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was such a fun night and good to test it out with Joel. Um, well, have you spoken I, to him since the potty? I have, and like he was so stoked to be a part of it, and it's so funny. If someone like that that we all think about and hold in such high regard, he didn't. He's like comes across. He was like, "Fuck, I just never really talk about myself. I just don't think really anyone cares." But I was like, "Mate, everyone was there because everyone was frothing to listen to your story." Mm. So it's funny to hear it from his point of view, but he really enjoyed it. And his biggest thing was, "Fuck, I got to get back down there and get one of those surf and turfs with the jalapenos." Like. Fuck, it was amazing. <laughs> we got a pizza at the end after the yeah, podcast. We, did, yeah. he, he we was... were starving, weren't we? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, thanks, Maz. Thanks, Nikki. Um, if you haven't been up there, go check it out. It's, it's a fucking yeah, epic spot. Can't wait for the next one. Um, and also, boys, just flag now. Um, we've got a busy couple of weeks. We've got to get ready for Ross Clark Jones. Um, so at this stage, he is at the community centre. Um, it holds 400 people. Uh, tickets are flying out the door. If you pl- Please don't <laughs> do what happened with the Parco one and text me and... Woody and Berwick and Sats and, you know, the afternoon of and say, have you got a ticket? Like, please jump online and uh, and, and purchase a ticket. And please understand, this is all for uh, – the, all, all the stuff that we do live, that it's all for charity. We're not making yeah. any money out of it. It's all going back into community. Uh, this one – so Parco's one, we're raising money for disabled surfing, which yeah. Parco's an ambassador for. Yep. I haven't done the numbers yet. I've got to go through it with Mez. We've still got the surfboard here to raffle. Yep. But hopefully our aim is that we might, I think, we might get to sort of four to five grand, I think, yeah, with disabled yeah. surfing. So that'd That's be great. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Ross Clark Jones um, spoke to him over the weekend. He's pumped. He will. <laughs> he definitely will be a different guest to Parco. Yeah. He is. Uh, <laughs> he is wired differently. Sats. He is. I think wired he'd be a different. Uh, I think he'd be a different guest to probably anyone on fucking earth. He, really. He is different. <laughs> Fifty-eight um, and he's fucking surfing the biggest ever Waimea. Yeah. Crazy. At the Eddie. I can't. I can't wait for some of his stories, but. Uh, so that is May the 5th, Friday, May the 5th, at the community centre. We've got the, you know, the Azteca Mar- Margie Bar, Yuli's, you know, cans flowing everywhere. Uh, we're going to do sponsors ads. It's going to be a big gig, so we're going to have a lot of fun. Um, and we're raising money for the Healthy Minds, uh, Revive the Northern Rivers, Our Kids. Um, Parkinson's. And Parkinson's disease. And that's in conjunction with the Bodie Boys. That are doing Satsi, you guys are doing a crazy challenge, a hundred K paddle 100K. over three days. Yeah, so Wednesday morning we'll leave um, up the river uh, from Lismore and then we'll paddle down. It, 
kind of joins to another river system somewhere along the way. And um, two nights we're going to stay, stop and stay overnight along the banks of the river and then one night at Goat Island, uh, Kai Picks, and um, finish in Ballina on Friday before the podcast. So, um, yeah. Have you got, um, have you got Erega? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> mate, I'm just trying to work out what I'd boat know. I'm paddling on or in or, yeah. You should make a full suit, like a full... Mozzie net. Mozzie net, just <laughs> as like a wetsuit. Well, sharks and mozzies are my main concern, yeah. so Sh- Sharks would be fine because there's heaps of people to save you if you lose an arm <laughs> yeah. or whatever. It's more than, more than Ross River <laughs> fever I'd be concerned with. Yeah, right, well, on that note, we'll be back on uh, on Thursday uh, to preview the weekend and we've got uh, Anzac Day next week, obviously. Um, and spread the word about Ross Clark Jones because we, uh, we're, we're getting ready, ready for that big gig, Satsia Woody. Let's go. Giddy up. Don't smoke here. We only set fire through the microphones. (laughs)